What's up, family? You are tuned into Law and Disorder, a podcast where we expose the cracks in our system, agitate for resistance, and collectively build a new world in which all of us can thrive. Law enforcement in this country kills approximately 1,200 people every single year, and yet the names of many are never said or known except to their families and friends. What's more, law enforcement agencies and other state actors harm our community in a myriad of ways that also go unnoticed, like profiling, sexually assaulting, and wrongfully incarcerating our people. If we don't know what's happening, then we can't fight back. We can't adequately organize a response. So every week on Law and Disorder, we are going to do a roundup of news related to state violence. We hope this segment will serve to expose, agitate, and build. This is the State Terror Roundup for the week of September 5th, 2022. Yesterday, we covered the water crisis in Jackson, Mississippi, where almost 200,000 and nearly all black folks have been without running water for days and without drinking water for months. Mississippi is also the world's leader in incarcerating people, with more folks in prison per capita than any other state or nation, including China, Russia, and Iran, according to the World Population Review. Across the country, the prison population has actually declined, 16% lower today than before the pandemic, according to the Vera Institute of Justice. But Mississippi's rate has risen more than 1,500 in less than six months, exceeding now 18,000 people, mostly Black, who are languishing in Mississippi prisons, who also, by the way, have some of the most horrid conditions in the nation, and also where we have seen some of the strongest organizing from folks on the inside. Reforms had reduced the number of incarcerated people to the lowest level in two decades, but then Governor Tate Reeves, the same governor attempting to capitalize on the current water crisis by privatizing Jackson's water treatment facility, appointed a former Chevron executive of the state parole board, and surprise, surprise, the trend reversed itself. Should this trend continue, Mississippi would top 19,000 incarcerated people before the end of the year and surpass 22,000 incarcerated people before the end of 2023, costing taxpayers more than $100 million a year. How many black people could be sent to college instead of jail with that kind of money? Source, Mississippi Today. On August 12th, Bradford County Sheriff's Deputy Jacob DeSue tried to pull over Ebony Washington, a black pregnant woman, for allegedly speeding. It was dark, the road was deserted, and instead of immediately pulling over, she did what any black person with common sense would and drove with her hazard lights on, slowed down, and pulled into a gas station. Surely she did this to ensure she wouldn't be harmed or killed. The cop approached her car with his gun drawn, demanded she get out, which also had her three kids inside who were terrified and recording the incident. And I want you to think about that. These children knew they needed to record this incident. They knew their mother's life was in literal danger. Children. This is the kind of trauma black folks grow up, live with, and manage every single day in this country. At one point during the pursuit, the officer did say over the patrol vehicle's PA system, pull the vehicle over, I will pull you to the ground. Once stopped, Uh, Body camera footage shows her arms out of the window. She says the door is locked. He says, I'm not worried. I've got my gun on you. He points her gun to his back. She tells him the kids are in the car. He says, your excuse means nothing to me right now. I don't want to hear it. And then he cuffs this pregnant woman. Finally, at the end of all of this, he takes her back to the car and gives her a citation. Even the cops say he got this one wrong with the Bradford County Sheriff, Gordon Smith, stating Washington did nothing wrong and that the cop's behavior violated the department's policies. His file shows he received a letter of reprimand involving a separate incident on April 13th and was allowed one last chance to continue working with the office. He has now resigned. A black man was wrongfully convicted as a teenager for a New Orleans rape more than 36 years ago. 
and ordered freed Thursday after a judge threw out his conviction. Sullivan Walter, now 53, was 17 when he was arrested in connection with the New Orleans rape. Blood and semen evidence that could have cleared him never made it to the jury, despite multiple appeal processes. His current attorneys point out that previous attorneys also missed conflicting statements by a police officer who worked on the case. Source, CBS News. A transgender man was shot to death by police in McLean, Virginia in July. His family is saying there was no justification for the killing. Jasper Aaron Lynch, 26, was having a mental health crisis when the police were called to his home. The cops were apparently threatened by him holding a large decorative tribal mask made of wood in one hand and a wine bottle in the other, which they say they believed he was going to use as a weapon. After the police fired tasers at him with no result, one officer, Edward George, shot Lynch four times, killing him. That officer is on paid vacation, or as the cops call it, reduced duty. When the police arrived, it was the second time they had been called to the Lynch home that evening. They had a mental health counselor with them the first time, but couldn't find Lynch then. There was no counselor with them the second time, although that would not have guaranteed his safety as co-responder models remain dangerous, as is ultimately the police officer who holds the power. Lynch's parents released a statement to local media saying, quote, Our son Aaron was experiencing a severe mental health crisis on July 7th. He was scared and asked for both of the 911 calls that were made that day. We believe that the three police officers who answered the call could have and should have handled this differently. To respond to Aaron's mental health crisis by shooting him at all, let alone multiple times, cannot be justified. We recognize that at times police officers face grave and unknown dangers in the line of duty, but that was not the case for the call regarding our son. Aaron was about 5'6", slightly built, and holding just a bottle and a decorative mask. As parents, we mourn the heartbreaking loss of our son and are left with only memories and regret. Had we known there was any possibility that the police responding would use lethal force against Aaron during a mental health crisis, we would not have involved them. The fact that Lynch was transgender has only recently been publicized. He is one of 26 trans Americans known to have died by violence this year. Many more such deaths undoubtedly go unreported or misreported. Trans people are at a higher risk of police violence or other mistreatment by law enforcement than their cisgender LGBTQ counterparts, the Human Rights Campaign notes. Source, The Advocate. Eight months ago, a Los Angeles Times investigation revealed portions of racist and homophobic text messages exchanged by at least a dozen Torrance police officers, sparking an investigation by the California Attorney General's office. The day after Torrance police shot Christopher DeAndre Mitchell in 2018, his mother and a dozen of his loved ones staged a protest outside the department's headquarters. At the same time, a group of officers, including the two who had killed Mitchell, were discussing the situation via text message. Quote, was going to tell you that those inward family members are all pissed off in front of the station. End quote. Quote, gun cleaning party at my house when they released my name. End quote. Criminal cases in which the officers were involved continue to be dismissed, and at least one man has been released from prison. Lawsuits filed against officers involved have already cost Torrance more than $10 million. Still, most of the officers implicated remain employed by the city. Source, Los Angeles Times. This week, the Bureau of Prisons told NPR that 442 people who were released during the pandemic have now been forced to return to prison. Only 17 people out of more than 11,000 who were released committed new crimes, mostly drug-related ones, while they were out. That's less than 0.2%. Source, NPR News. 
A column in the Los Angeles Times by Anita Chabra exposes that while homicides are up across California, as they are in every state across the country, the blame experts are aiming their outrage as progressives. You know, the defund woke folks are responsible for all of this violence trope, even though defund didn't happen anywhere. The column points to data released by Attorney General Rob Bonta that shows the biggest risk for homicides actually came in conservative counties with iron fist sheriffs and district attorneys and, quote, places where progressives in power are nearly as common as monkeys riding unicorns, end quote. Kern County leads the locals where your chance of being murdered is greatest with a homicide rate of 14 people per 100,000 compared with about six per 100,000 for the state as a whole and 8.5 per 100,000 in Los Angeles. The number of people annually murdered in Kern County has nearly doubled since 2014 to 124 lives last year. Folks, this narrative is taking place across the country. Rather than owning and accepting that the status quo practice of targeting, arresting, and incarcerating people is doing little to nothing to keep us safe, and rather than diverting resources from bloated police budgets to things that actually prevent crime like trauma supports, quality education, housing, and healthcare, the powers that be are manipulating our pain, trauma, and fear through massive disinformation campaigns, causing some of us to act against the best interests of ourselves and our communities. We cannot incarcerate our way out of poverty. We cannot police our way out of trauma. And we will never achieve peace with violence. And there is no doubt that the way we do public safety in this country is violence. This has been the State Terror Roundup for the week of September 5th. Soundtrack provided by Coffee Brown, an Oakland musician, singer, and songwriter who has been a force in the Bay Area's hip-hop and soul scene since the early 90s. You can check her out at kofybrown.com, and her website and socials are linked from our site at kpfa.org. Also, big shout-out to the team at the Anti-Police Terror Project who helped curate the content for this segment. You've been listening to Law and Disorder, a podcast where we expose the cracks in our system, agitate for resistance, and collectively build a new world in which all of us can thrive. That's it for this episode, family. You can find more information about our topics and guests in this episode's show notes. Law and Disorder is produced at KPFA. That's listener-supported radio on the Pacifica Network. The show is produced by Jesse Strauss and hosted by me, Kat Brooks. Our theme music was composed by Steve Raskin of Fort Knox 5. If you like what you heard, please follow us on social media at Law and Dis. That's D-I-S. And subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Feel free to holler at us about something you heard or send us a show idea at lawanddisorder at kpfa.org. You can also find our content live at 8 a.m. weekdays on KPFA. That's 94.1 FM in the Bay Area. Our show and all of KPFA's programs are funded exclusively by you, the listener. And if you're in a position to support us, please donate today at kpfa.org. Take care of yourself and take care of each other. We all we got, fam. <laughs>